so you are listening to the chick flicks film club oh my god i feel like i always say it wrong it's just like it's such a tongue twister why did we pick this like it it's kind always of is. it's a challenge chick you are listening to chick flicks film club the first part of our october edition um, I am Malena Vita. I am Emma Stern. And I'm Lauren Piscothi. And uh, today we are talking about Midsommar. A couple travels to Scandinavia to visit a rural hometown's fabled Swedish Midsummer festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. The movie is a, an R-rated folk horror. It is distributed by the independent movie studio A24. Its runtime is two whole hours and 20 minutes, and that is not even the director's cut, which is even longer. Um, and it is available to watch on Amazon Video Prime, US subscription, Netflix, UK, and generally to rent on demand. Yes, and it was written and directed by Ari Aster, who also did Hereditary, um, stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, Will Poulter, and Wilhelm Blomgren. Lots of wills. <laughs> so many wills. <laughs> um, out of all 15 producers, only three are women. Uh, there are no picture parody ratings available. And there are, but there are women-led departments uh, in casting, set decor, costume, hair and makeup, continuity, and yes. Yeah. It was a bit difficult to gauge because so many of them are Hungarian and names and also because it's an independent movie. So there's less exposure to find out. But yeah. um, generally speaking, those departments were women-led. Nice. Right. Because even though it was a, the film was um, kind of a partnership between American filmmakers and Sweden, but it was mm -hmm. shot on location in, in Budapest. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I read that was because uh, in Sweden, there are laws that you can't work for longer than eight hours and in film mm. generally, I mean, maybe it should only be eight hour shoots, <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, yeah. so that's why they had to film. It that's another podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so the reception of mid Midsummer, and I know some people call it Midsommar. They'll be super. Uh, Midsommar. That's my <laughs> Scandinavian telling you. Midsommar. But for our purposes, we'll call it Midsummer, <laughs> so we don't always sound super pretentious every time we say it. And um, so the overall reception of it was it was very polarized. It sparked a lot of conversations around the horror genre, the marketing of it, audience expectations, etc. It's like people either loved it or hated it. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it scored an 83% from the critics and a 63% from an audience rating. Um, the critic consensus was it was ambitious, impre impressively crafted, and above all, unsettling. Midsummer further proves writer-director Ari Aster is a horror auteur to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. On Metacritic, it was a 72 out of 54 ratings. User score was 6.4 out of 629 ratings. And on IMDb, it scored a 7.1 out of 10 based out of 255,000 reviews. 50% of those reviews were split between an 8 and 7 out of 10 rating, and the rating decreased over the age demographics. So yeah. as the viewership age went up, the rating went down, which that's super yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the men's average score was 7.1 and the women's average was 7.0. So, so pretty much the same. <laughs> pretty much the same, but yeah. it's like... <laughs> 
ever so tiny difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would think more women would have liked this movie. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I didn't even realize that IMDb like did it part of their stuff into demographics. Um, but they do do that. So people can check that out. That's great. Yeah. Um, I also just had a quick gauge on like Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, did some polls just to see what people are thinking. First of all, like 69% of the people who answered this poll on uh, making it women of film were into horror. Um, I didn't say horror fans because I feel like there is a discrepancy between being a horror fan and liking a horror movie every Mm -hmm. now and then. Mm -hmm. Um, 97% agreed that the horror genre has a tendency for using misogynistic tropes, which I thought was interesting and uh, agree with. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 67% had seen Midsommar and out of those 82% did enjoy the movie. Uh, Generally speaking, people were just like, fantastic, amazing, love it. I mean, I personally am not a horror person. I don't do horror films. <laughs> I I don't do them. I don't like it. The only time I would really do them is in October because <laughs> I feel like I have to do that's the way of being festive in October. Um, but otherwise, you, you smell know, pressure. Yeah, I, I smell the pressure. Although I won't be watching like Squid Games. I, I won't be falling <laughs> oh into that. Uh, <laughs> so but um but yeah, actually, my first experience in Midsummer was I took a film history class at NYU, mm. and it was on the the curriculum as um, the the horror film to watch. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Um, so that's when I first watched it, which was only about like two years ago, two three years ago mm-hmm. for me now. Um, so that's the only way I would have watched it was literally in this academic setting because it was my homework <laughs> to watch it. Um, otherwise, I would not have gone out of my way to watch it. And then watching it again, like as a refresh, mm-hmm. was less scary since I already yeah. knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that it was scary. I say like, I agree with people who say it's unsettling because mm-hmm. I wasn't really scared, especially since maybe because she, we knew she probably wasn't in danger. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of like in a lot of horror movies the main protagonist is in immediate danger but like you can tell that this community of people are really they're not trying to hurt her no they're trying at least not physically (laughs) yes (laughs) yes uh it remains to be seen if she's you know had a psychotic break by the end of the movie Mm -hmm. Uh, which I was more like oh man she's stuck in this cult now that sucks (laughs) (laughs) so are you uh, uh into horror I, I know you said that you like I dabble I dabble in horror but <laughs> see I had this phase as a kid where I don't know why but I would watch Dateline and I would watch <laughs> Criminal Minds and all these true crime shows um and so but then I like kind of as I got older I I kind of steered away from that sort of stuff because I started recognizing that like oh the victims in these shows these movies um kind of are like they're 20 and they're they're in college and I'm like oh crap that's me now (laughs) which I think is a similar thing that Mm -hmm. happens in horror um but yeah I like I loved Hereditary um I I thought this movie was interesting and I like Emma probably would not have gone out of my way to watch it Mm -hmm. um just because yeah like maybe I'm I don't know I'm more into like comedies these days (laughs) that's funny though like I can talk about that later but I think this is quite a funny movie um 
I I love this movie. It's one of my all-time favorite. Her- Hereditary was like my favorite movie for forever. And so when this came out, it's just like I am gonna watch every single thing that Ari Aster puts out there. Like mm-hmm. I'm just gonna I'm 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 gonna be there. So I watch it in the theater on yeah. its like premiere. Um and wow. <laughs> I probably did have a slight bias just because I'm so I was so into hereditary and into his craft oh my god fucking simp um (laughs) and uh I just yeah um I I was I was there for it and I have the blu-ray the director's cut well first off I want to back up and say that's so funny that we have literal opposite ends of the spectrum here like you were there the premiere night of the movie and meanwhile Mm -hmm. Lauren and I are like um we watched it because we had to because (laughs) otherwise we're sort of scared which and I will agree with you I think it's a really good movie like Mm -hmm. the way it's just put together and and so much about it is really good and um that's kind of a basic word to use but I think it's something that really really pulls you in the whole time and you're really intrigued um by the premise of it and and by by all the cult isms that unfold in front of you yeah um and even though it's not scary per se, it's not particularly, there's not a lot of blood. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of jump scare. I just mean compared to like, there's certain things that are like, there's just like pools of blood. You know what I mean? In like certain horror movies. See, I'd almost rather there was that than what they have in this movie. Right, I was it's like almost a little more realistic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I had such yeah. weird dreams the night after I watched <laughs> this. I, was I like, think, oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting though because in a way it definitely is a slasher movie. For sure, like it has, like it, it's a slasher movie, but at the same time, because of how idyllic it is, because of how beautiful it is to look right. at, it's so disturbing. I think that maybe unsettling is its own type of scary, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, when I first saw Hereditary, I thought about it. I mean, I still think about it from time to time, and I'm like, oh my god, like wincing just at the thought. And you know, there are elements of that in this movie as well. Um, but yeah, I think that it kind of, and I think this was mentioned in a Screen Rant article where they went over, you know, the best and the worst of the movie and what people's consensus was, but I think it's kind of like making its own like place in the genre of, oh, well, it's a horror movie, but all the people in this pagan cult are really nice on the surface Mm -hmm. to, um to you know Christian and his friends and to Danny Mm -hmm. and then you know we don't see that we don't see anything like from their behavior other than like you know the culty things (laughs) 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 that they should be aware of it's more so like you know I'm Mm -hmm. losing my train of thought here but (laughs) <laughs> no no I agree it seems very contained in that way like the threat they're very the scary things um the Ottostupa where they're jumping off the cliff they're not yeah. hiding that they're displaying that for you and they're proud of it and it's not as a threat it is as a this is what we do which in turn I think I saw this somewhere where it was like I think it was a title of a YouTube video that I didn't watch, but I was like, oh, that's true. It's like how um, how Midsummer kind of tricks your brain into like 
kind of like conditions you in a way yes, because indoctrines oh you did watch that, that. i did watch that one. it's true i was thinking about it i was like yeah i mean when they do that part of you is like you're obviously disturbed like the characters are but you're like but wait maybe they do have mm-hmm. some like you know they're saying they do this so they don't get old and we keep our old people in a nursing home and so you're yeah. like maybe they have a point and then you're like oh wow did I just agree with a cult <laughs> yes any any thoughts on being indoctrined by this movie Emma <laughs> I think I would agree I definitely want to go to to Sweden for a certain <laughs> summer soon no I I think like this movie is is one of those that really like it stays with you afterwards and you can't stop thinking about it just like you were saying Lauren like I, I've never seen Hereditary and I, I will never see Hereditary if I'm successful at that. Um, but well, look what we're watching next month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to be unavailable, guys. But um, so I like but but I still think about Midsummer a lot. And um, I also think I mean, can we talk about Florence Pugh for a second and um, talk about how I think she is part of the reason why you are pulled into this movie and why, like like Lauren said, it's like some of it sometimes you're like oh I see it I sort of get it like it's and then it like it's even more weird and like twisted um and and just especially obviously spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie and you're listening to this but like that smile at the end is just like oh it's just chilling it's just Mm -hmm. it's like one second you're happy for her and then in the next you're like you're just so like you feel so you empathize with her so much that you're like oh my gosh what this woman has been through this is crazy and now she's stuck here in this cult that's all I could think about at the end I was like Mm -hmm. how's she gonna get out are they gonna go back to school isn't she like she didn't graduate yet I was thinking about these things which is like probably not Um, what the director intended (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's a disturbing fairy tale in that way you know right happily ever after yeah, I watched a video where they were saying that, um, I don't know if this was the intent or just something someone else noticed, but they were like, they were saying that it was kind of like the Wizard of Oz, where, Whoa. and you could kind of see in like a side by side, like, you know, the munchkins welcoming them to Emerald Cities, like mm-hmm. the Whoa. people welcoming them to um, this like very mystical, magical place. And a lot of, it's her fairy tale, but the other characters worst nightmare mm-hmm. yeah that's a really interesting way to think about it and even just sort of some of the floral motifs in this movie yeah like in, in like technicolor yeah yeah wow mm-hmm. I wonder if Ari Aster even thought about that <laughs> I'm not sure if that was like his intent with the color scheme and like the general just the way that it looked mm-hmm. but but yeah I thought that was really interesting because it is it is like if you are you know not thinking about the the deaths (laughs) it is kind of a fairy tale for her because she went from grieving to having no one to really Mm -hmm. talk to about how she was feeling yes to all of a sudden being welcomed in by all these I thought it was interesting that also like in the community it seemed very upheld by the women in the community too Mm -hmm. so yeah Yeah. she's literally queen at the end (laughs) yeah queen uh-huh. Uh, I think he did intend for it to have that fairy tale nature. I mean, the opening shot is this painting that basically, if you look at it, 
tells you what it's gonna end up as like it tells you what mm-hmm. the movie is um and I just yeah I mean you have the jester you have the dangerous bear you know um true there's so many elements of that you know her journey of confronting all of these people around her um and yeah uh I think there's definitely you know a level of those classic fairy tale characters in it um and passing different tests and going through these different revelations and um yeah and and I mean like (laughs) putting things in drinks um (laughs) yeah yeah that's Mm -hmm. super interesting right like sort of a what that um implies in in our everyday life if if something slips if someone slips something into your drink that's sort of an inherent you think of women getting roofied especially um Mm -hmm. statistically yeah um but it's interesting that all of them get something slipped into their drink and she comes there with all men and Mm -hmm. she's sort of the last she's the only one who makes it out not to forget that her character i mean danny goes through this journey of she starts the movie and in a relationship with Christian that is, um, and we could talk about their relationship too, but more that is like, it's not great, but it's not the level of by the end of the movie, she gets to a place where she decides to sacrifice him, you know, and, and that's such a different place to get to um, psychologically as a character. Um, yeah. yeah. See, mm-hmm. when I first, cause I had heard that this is like a story about a breakup essentially And I was really expecting him to be just like abusive and so like horrible, like so obviously horrible, but it's really just, and that's what I thought was probably the, one of the best elements of it was how realistic, like the problems in their relationship were portrayed and written, which I read that some people's complaints were that the dialogue was like contrived and not very realistic, but I thought that just seeing her um get upset and like the way that she said like oh am I telling him too much like am I gonna scare him away you know I was like that's such a realistic uh thing to think Mm -hmm. when you're in a relationship so yeah yeah sorry I've got like somebody with a dog barking by the door (laughs) um (laughs) you're fine don't worry yeah no no absolutely I think it's more than anything it's just I feel like the the whole relationship is really well portrayed and uh I listening to an interview with Arias he said that he wrote this after a breakup um and that was what it was for him initially um I think it's interesting how he then most likely wrote his perspective from Danny's perspective then making her the protagonist mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe giving himself an outlet to explore emotions because we generally don't tend to give that to yeah. a lot of men. Right. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something else um, that stayed with me from the movie was every time that people from the cult would sort of mimic other people's pains pain or joy or um just like in a sort of therapeutic outlet way they would like all scream together Mm -hmm. type thing and it's weird to watch but it's strangely I'm like oh that must feel really good (laughs) like that must feel really good for them all to do together and 
um, it sort of reminded me of theater in a way. Mm. Um, I don't know why, it just sort of reminded me of like the, the ancient um, origins of theater and like storytelling was always for catharsis. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that this story started from a place of a really bad breakup and it was probably almost cathartic for Ariaster to write this out in a way that like just lets all the emotions out, all of the icky emotions, the, the good emotions, the weird emotions out. And that all the characters in there are all like let each other just like have complete catharsis in the film. It's like a very uh, strategic element, I think, that was placed in there. Yeah, it's Definitely. a very cathartic movie. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, I think he said if if the legacy, if anything, I want the legacy of this movie to be like uh, the movie you watch when you're going through a breakup. So oh my God, that's kind of scary, that, but it is a little scary. I was like, I don't really think this is, I probably watched when Harry met Sally, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was told Harry Potter movies are the best for breakups. Yeah, the poorness of their relationship isn't so overt. It's not overt abuse. It is just both of them holding on to something that isn't there. And, you know, she's putting a bit too much of her heart into it you know it's about vulnerability and then being taken advantage of because of that vulnerability as well and I just thought it was interesting how she slowly started to realize that he was mistreating her like when Simon Simon and Connie the couple the British couple mm -hmm. when he disappears which I was like he's not taking the bus he's dead um <laughs> spoiler alert but um when she looked at him and she was like I think you would do that you know, like she started to kind of wake up to the fact that she was not getting what she deserved. And I thought that was really interesting, her slowly mm -hmm. realizing. Okay, so that's actually a good segue because my question was, I mean, do we think this movie plays into any tropes in harmful ways? Um, or uh, like part of that Screen Rant article that you were talking about is the fact that Simon and Connie get off, like killed off pretty early in the movie and that they're um, both people of color in the movie, like some mm. of the only people of color in the movie. Um, and so a lot of people were like, yeah, I was expecting them to like barely make it through um, because that's sort of a, a trope in horror or anything violent. Yeah. See, I saw that as the trope of like, if you're thinking in terms of like Scream is a good movie because it's like a parody of a horror movie while also being a horror movie, there's like the couple that gets killed off. And then, you know, the, uh, the like the guy who just wants to sleep around. The, like jerk character and then there's the guy or the or the woman who is like you know investigating when they shouldn't be and they have selfish motives um so I saw more as that trope but I I definitely understand that that would be you know I mean I I was kind of expecting that as well because you just come to get used to that unfortunately but yeah yeah, I think I think that trope is definitely there. I mean, when you see it, um, like it's factual that the first two characters to disappear or be killed because they are killed right. um, are people of color, and there are two of only three people of color in the whole movie. Um, and then that goes into the idea that this is really a white supremacist cult, which we can probably talk about later. Um, <laughs> but I think you know it. 
it is it's it's factually there um and i feel like it does work with the characters so because they were the first one to be like we're leaving we're getting out of this place you know um and not continue to be like oh let's let's stay here yeah this is this seems normal you know they were for the first people to be outraged um and so it fits the character the fact that they were the first ones to be like what are you guys doing at the Ottostupa? and they were like this is yeah. fucked up you know these people you're killing these people yeah but it does suck that that does then feed into this trope right right like it makes sense story-wise but then it goes back to like when you see um statistics at the end of like a movie season of why Mm. people of color on screen only have a certain amount of the dialogue Mm. so it's like you literally hear from those voices less and Mm. and so things like that play into it where yes it makes sense in this instance and it does sort of make sense by the end that I, i do see that that it's like a white supremacist like sort of uh, creepy like everyone there is white and like very fair skinned Mm -hmm. um by the end but then it's still like this is I feel torn over that because I feel like that's part of what's what's feeding into as to why we don't even like hear from people of color as much in films like this there's also the trope of like the uh the white woman who survives it all (laughs) you know and like Mm. there's been lots of discussion of uh, you know, the white victim, the white female victim with, right. unfortunately, the real life case of Gabby Petito, because there are lots of women of color and indigenous people uh, who are still missing and they're not talked about nearly as much. So you could, you could kind of see how, you know, it is a movie, but just seeing those stories portrayed actually does make a difference in how we talk about mm-hmm. real life stories. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it all feeds into each other. And I mean, going off of that, I know we're talking about Midsummer, but that, that raised a point. I just wanted to plug another movie that I watched recently called Wind River. Um, if either of you have seen that? No. It's actually specifically about how um, specifically indigenous women in America go missing, but there's no stats on it. Mm. Um, but there's like hundreds of, of women that have, women and girls that have gone missing in reservations in mm-hmm. certain parts of the country and there's just no statistics on it and that's a really it's a, a really chilling movie but a, a different kind of portrayal of exactly what you're talking about of um that trope of like when white women go missing or or white women are harmed immediately everyone is concerned and there's so many resources sent in with people and money to to find them and to figure out what happened but the opposite is not always true not really on this on that note but kind of I'm talking about the victims in this movie. I thought yeah. it was interesting that, you know, um, there there is a huge issue with rising nationalism in Sweden. Um, mm. I said this as a Dane and Norwegian person who's kind of seeing that generally happening in Scandinavia. Um, and apparently the slogan on the banner when they drive in is an anti-immigrant slogan. Mm-hmm. Um, and very much like if you look at all the victims, they're all people who aren't Swedish. Um, because yeah. then, you know, that's mm-hmm. also, you know, uh, internationally uh, investigating things is, is difficult and it's much easier to prey on people outside uh and bring this in i mean they're basically recruiting them at the end when they're talking about sacrificing they're like oh and you brought you brought sacrifices to us you know it is very deliberate they're deliberately picked in that way um so i just thought that was interesting how 
as far as we know, every single victim besides volunteers were not Swedish. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Danny looks as if she could be Swedish. Oh, like she definitely. fits that, yeah. mm-hmm. that mold. So that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of like horror as a genre does have the ability to make commentary on very real, like social things going on because, um, because of the extremity of it and, and being able to be like a step removed from it, but at the same time, it being just, as you said, very like reminiscent of potent of what's actually happening today. And it's, it's just always fascinating to me how it's able to do that. Yeah. And then obviously at the very end, you know, when they're setting fire to the temple, yes. they're literally, you know, covered with, they're wearing white clothes and they have a torch and they've covered their face with this thing that isn't like a hood, but their face is covered by mainly um, white fabric. And, and, you know, that's very rep- reminiscent of mm. the KKK. KKK. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. So. I feel like those themes are definitely embedded into the visuals. Yeah. I I wasn't really thinking about that. I think because I was just so disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now that yeah. you say that, I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. oh, another thing, like just more on that specific topic is, you know, generally the recruitment that a lot of these extremist extremist groups you know they they target people who are vulnerable people who are looking for somewhere to belong and that Mm -hmm. is entirely what they're doing here like very specifically Pella he tells her you know I had no one but they were here for me they are my family Mm. they learn to speak their language especially now with the internet like a huge thing of it is targeting young impressionable people on the internet by speaking their language Mm -hmm. um and here like what I thought was interesting was that they, this is supposed to be a very closed off community in Sweden. If we're being realistic, they shouldn't really, for no reason, there's, there's no reason for them to be able to speak English. Mm. Um, and I know like, especially the older people, like my grandpa, uh, even though most Scandinavian people speak English, my grandpa, he doesn't speak English very well because mm. I wasn't taught at that point. But here you have this very secluded area but they, they don't go outside of Sweden. There's no reason for them to speak English other than recruiting people. Um, mm, absolutely. So that was an interesting note that I observed actually just this time I watched it. Um, I hadn't noticed that before, but I was just like, hmm, curious. So do you guys think that Danny is ultimately um, independent in the end or is a victim of that recruitment that you're just talking about I think it's both yeah <laughs> yeah to be honest yeah I think she's been brainwashed mm-hmm. so on one hand she's rid of all the people who have exploited her and you know wronged her in one way or another um, mm-hmm. but on the other she's being exploited in a completely different maybe worse way yeah <laughs> so, it's almost yeah <laughs> exactly kind of a tragic ending like it really I know, is. yeah people say people regard it as like a cathartic and happy ending but mm-hmm. I was more like oh man like nobody knows she's here like where's her cell phone like I'm thinking about these practical things <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm like if I were there I'd be so freaked out <laughs> damn she needs therapy they don't have that there no um, they have group screaming sessions 
Yeah, which maybe it. it's the same. <laughs> but yeah, so both is my answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, she believes she's independent, but, you know, she isn't. But maybe it's also interesting how they are giving her that false independence, you right. know, uh, and using that almost like girl bossifying cults, you know, being like, <laughs> here, you are our queen. Mm. But then she's not, you know, she's really not. Um, yeah. But she believes that, and maybe she is within that structure. She is, but in the grand scheme of things, she's definitely not. I agree. I'd agree. And it's like the choice they give her is like, okay, you have to pick someone to kill. <laughs> like that's already the end of the choice. And then it's like, who is it going to be? Um, yeah. I think she's, I personally think like if the movie extended, like timeline wise, she would definitely be in that cult like for the rest of her life. I don't know. I, yeah. I would say. Which is yeah. just so tragic. It's just yeah. then it becomes a tragedy, which is probably why it ends when it does. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah. does it end at that point in the director's cut? Uh, yes, it does. It does. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is the very final end. Uh, there's just more some other scenes that was in the original script. Um like, I'm interested like what wasn't do you think anything was added in that was like game-changing for it okay so you know when she finds out that he's going to Sweden and they have that argument mm-hmm. yeah. um that scene is like five minutes long in the director's cut I think it's not cut like it's halved in this one um uh, and there it really gets into the really bad parts of the relationship where you can see that she is he, he is I don't like using this word because everybody is using it now, but he's gaslighting her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it basically happens where she, at, at the end of this, of the theatrical cut, she says, but it could be inspiring, right? And then we cut to him telling his friends that he invited her, but she's not coming. What happens in the original director's cut is that he says, oh, you ruined the surprise. I was going to invite you. It was going to be a surprise. I already want bought you a ticket, uh, you know, but, you know, now n- never mind. He didn't do that, you know, um, but he says like, oh, I, I got you a ticket after she gets really upset and, and you ruined the surprise. And she goes, oh, wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then she starts apologizing, like deeply, prof- profoundly oh apologizing God. for this thing. Meanwhile, he's just playing this game where he's, you know. <sighs> Uh, yeah like that that was one of the most impactful scenes in the director's cut which is which just mm. really shows the the really bad parts where she's clearly being just manipulated in that way I wish um, they kept that yeah I, re- I really did too because I was like waiting for that and then I was like oh wait this must be in the director's cut like this scene doesn't end like that but there's this part where he just goes you know you ruined the surprise and she's like starts crying you know and she's like oh I'm so sorry um and he's like no it's okay (laughs) oh my god and and it's like fuck off what do you what's like that was and that shows like the parts where there's like like really deliberate um gaslighting going on from his side of things so that is one scene in the director's cut that I really wish that they had kept in the full one um yeah because <laughs> that Absolutely. one stuck with me yeah 
yeah, yeah. I think that would have almost I mean not, not that anything could have redeemed the ending but <laughs> but that's true <laughs> like for for the relationship to have been even a bit more like in that moment mm-hmm. it's so clear that he's like intentionally knowingly messing with her just yeah. so he can come out on top mm-hmm. from yeah. that argument that fight um that it, it makes a bit more sense of why she's like it being a, a bit tortured even like in the relationship yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and she's like you know I'm so sorry I ruined this big thing you'd planned for for us you know and then clearly he just planned to run away and now yeah ugh. yeah well yeah. in the video that I watched too about Midsummer, they were saying how like he he's the ultimate villain because of the way that he's so selfishly motivated like you know she's just been through this horrible thing and like they've been together for four years and mm-hmm. you know he has that talk with his friends and they're like just break up with her and he's like well what if I do and I regret it and so she's just he's just keeping her like mm-hmm. you know dangling a little like you know yeah. just stringing her along yeah. uh just in case he might regret leaving her because maybe I don't know he just wants to have a girlfriend for some reason like yeah and then her entire family dies and she has to cry in an airplane mm-hmm. bathroom yeah mm-hmm. like yeah so not again yeah. doesn't justify <laughs> Murder, no but it's a movie but... I mean it's a, it it's like a that's where I'm like it's a movie yeah like kill him burn him um well, also, I, you know I also heard that burning. like the burning at the end is like symbolic of when you when you break up with someone you're kind of like you're burning the memory of them mm-hmm. and like as opposed to actually killing the person <laughs> you know it's like symbolic of how you know how people burn the stuff of their significant other mm-hmm. or yeah. yeah yeah like they burn photos or letters and keepsakes yeah mm-hmm. so it's supposed to be symbolic of that yeah. um but yeah I think like burning is probably the most cathartic form of destruction yeah yeah um because it's just gone you know um and also there's like imagery throughout the movie that hints that this is going to happen in there in her apartment she has like a painting of a little girl who's like petting a big bear uh, and there's just like yeah. this imagery going on throughout the yeah. whole thing um and yeah I-, I think what's interesting is that when you start to analyze his actions you know he's an asshole but the way that Jack Rayner plays him makes him feel he just looks so dumb and so like inactive mm. like he's just very passive and letting these yes. things happen meanwhile when you get the director's cut you see that he's being a bit more deliberate um and it right, seems okay. like he's just waiting around in in this cut where it's like uh oh you know I don't want to break up with her if you know what if I don't have a girlfriend when I want one and things like that um but then he starts being like wait so you have no you know regard for what happens to like what she needs right now in this extremely vulnerable state of mind that she's in and there's just no empathy from his side on that and it's just very much about him but I think the way he's played is very interesting because he just I mean he looks kind of dumb doesn't he He, he's just so passive to everything kind of but he also it's like purposefully Mm-hmm. yes incompetent but, so mm-hmm. he can come out as not the bad guy which yeah. I think is very powerful because I don't know I think there are a lot of like modern relationships where 
you know, I'm sure people could maybe see their ex, hopefully not their current Mm -hmm. (laughs) in him and the way that he's like, Oh, well, sorry, I forgot your birthday. I didn't mean to, it's just the daylight. Not, you know, Mm -hmm. because like if he cared, he'd remember your birthday. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. Well, yeah, I think, Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, even in the way that he stole the thesis idea Mm -hmm. from his friend, it's like, you are so lazy. You can't even think of, and he's trying to pass it off. Um, but as you know, his friend confronts him, he's like, you, you know, what you're doing is wrong, but you're doing it anyway. Yeah. Like, don't act like you're dumb because I know that you're not. Yeah. I think it's interesting that there's one version of the movie that has him, that there's basically one where there's a lack of action from him. And then there's one where there is action from him, where he's like you said, gaslighting her and Mm. intentionally like knows what he's doing. Yeah. And I think the lack of action makes sense actually because often in rom-coms the whole like a line that's said in every single rom-com is probably just like the you can't just tell her you love her you have to show her you love her and, and they're always like love is about <laughs> action not just words like that's like always such a, a trope so the fact that in, in this story he's just inactive completely yeah. is almost like more telling because he can't he's so inactive that he can't even be like bothered to break up with her like he Mm -hmm. like the feeling indifferent sometimes is worse than like your ex like maybe hating you or something because at least like there was some kind of strong feelings there and there were action there so him just being there and Mm -hmm. just sort of letting everything happen and being passive is almost worse yeah especially she's trying so desperately to connect Mm -hmm. with him you know and also one Mm -hmm. thing is like sure maybe it would be a bit much for this kind of like her the the emotional care that she needs in an early relationship but they've been together for four years um you yeah. should care about each other like i when feel like yes four, if this years. Was four years yeah you know, that crazy if it was one month half a year okay i can kind of get why that might be overwhelming but for this long oh come on you know yeah yeah yeah. Which makes like the end where she's watching him burn, burn just more symbolic because she clearly at least thought she loved him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so his indifference is like that much more yeah. impactful, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, exactly. Like that's probably almost like it hurts her more of, of just how like he like indifferent he is. Yeah. Um. It's just so funny though. I just had a nerd moment where like, so there's a song in Hamilton where she says, I hope that you burn. Like, I'm so welcoming. Here, we're here for you. Like, we're women, we're stronger to get together. You know, like all those things. And then just definitely not Sisterhood of the Travel. It's a different breakup movie, but I'm glad it's there. Yeah. Again, not, I don't think I'd watch this one, but I respect anyone who decides who decides to watch this. Yeah. like my my boyfriend got his haircut today and he was saying the hairdresser was like oh yeah I haven't slept in three nights because I just broke up with my boyfriend and I was like tell her to watch Midsummer." <laughs> yeah. in my, oh my head god. <laughs> my god so funny I mean so do we think this film is uh inherently feminist or no yeah Yeah. I don't think it's the intent and I think you know what people reach into it by being like oh you know she's independent now and she's happy now and she's like that it's like a feminist ending I don't 
really think it is? I think that like it can be. Mm-hmm. You can you can dissect it in a way that it is feminist, but I don't think that was the intent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, like you can read it, you can bring forward evidence of moments from the film and say, see, this is why it's feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I also think in its creation, like we were saying at the beginning, there weren't that many women involved behind the scenes and the departments that were headed by women are unfortunately like pretty common to be headed by women, like casting mm-hmm. and costumes yeah. is, is pretty common. And, and unfortunately, it's also really common for those departments to be headed by white women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's another part of this film is, is when you think about feminism, in terms of intersectionality, there's, it's, it's really about this white woman, Danny. Um, yeah. And there's, there's not much else depth to it besides that, I would say. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, oh my, I just had a thought and it just like flew away. Oh no. Um, I think, you know, uh, I think the, all, like, there's a lot of women just in this cult um and they seem to kind of be leading it you know it doesn't seem like the men are really putting their efforts towards getting danny in here it seems like the women are and that they're trying to Mm. sympathize with her by doing all of the collective screaming and crying and trying to show her like this is sisterhood you know yeah and i think it uses kind of that idea that I myself sometimes have where I'm like I feel more comfortable around other women Mm. and then that's being exploited and I think that's clever and I think it's a good way to show how that happens and how you can use that vulnerability against other people um, where you think and I you know I think yes in in a way it is empowering for her to go through that journey because she's much stronger now at the end of the move than she was in the beginning but she's yeah. but is she better off I don't know <laughs> I don't know about that one um those are two so, separate questions yeah yes yeah. <laughs> right a complex movie with many nuanced layers that um that <laughs> that won't get everything right about like the the social representation that has to be fixed in the industry in one movie yeah. I think it's a stepping stone though I yeah. would hope because mm-hmm. um, we are talking about these issues when watching it and so you know, maybe yeah. we'll, get, we'll get better Ari Aster horror movies, like better female represented mm-hmm. yeah. Ari Aster movies yeah. or fe- female directed mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, horror movies. That would be great. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, we will be covering a female directed horror movie next week. Uh, a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, directed by Anna Lily Amirpour. Um, and I'll be excited to talk with you about that. Yes, <laughs> that's so exciting. So thank you for joining us for Midsummer. We hope that this sparked conversations with you and your film aficionado <laughs> friends to talk about Midsummer. It's such a, a movie that people go back and forth on. So enjoy and enjoy spooky season. Thank <music> you.